Father, as we start to settle in, as we start to sit back down, I'm just thankful for a people that, that understand unity. Father, that they understand unity happens way more on a Sunday, but happens uh, on Mondays and Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, and Saturdays. Father, we get the chance to unite uh, wherever we are. And so I'm thankful that we are a people that desires that, and so we'll continue to uh, be who you've made us to be. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. This is going to be a great time. It already is. Thank you for the worship that we've had that's ushered us into this moment. And, Father, it's in Christ's name that we all pray. Amen. 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 Hey, as you settle in, somebody, uh, Deb, do you mind just hitting those lights? Then we'll turn them back off when we get ready to worship. Yeah, i got to be able to see you. Thanks. It's better. I keep creeping closer to you. I had to pull that thing away. I couldn't see over it. <laughs> it's too tall. Yeah. It's too dang tall. Um, where's McSpadden? Would you do us a favor? Joey uh, has specifically, Joey has a, a court case tomorrow in regards to Jake, his son, his boy. And, and uh, so he's nervous. And he knows that you are a safe people. He has desired for you to, to uh, join in him and pray over that. So I thought it would be cool if Brian would, if you'd lift him up for all of us. It would be cool. Yes. All right, you ready to dig back in? If you were with us last week, we, we talked about the triumphant entry. And, and the cool thing about you guys being marketplace pastors that you are is that you live Easter every day. You live the resurrection every day. And, and we've often said that the cross is absolutely significant in a believer's life, but the cross has no meaning unless there is the resurrection. It's the full gospel. It's everything about it. It's complete. That the resurrection is what represents life. And so I'm going to pray, place us back in the scene. You know, last week we kind of had fun with the prequel, sequel kind of deal. And so I'm going to place us back at the scene of the three days. And remember, I want you to place yourself in the crowd and pretend that you were there on the scene and you were pressing forward when Jesus 
placed himself on the donkey and he started coming into the city. And he was coming into the city just to this throng of, of people hollering out, Hosanna! 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 Save now! Save now! And in the course of just a few days, in the course of the week, that if you were in the crowd and maybe you were one of the ones that were screaming out, Hosanna, but were you still in the crowd and maybe got caught up in the fact that you started saying, Give us Barabbas! Give us Barabbas! Crucify the Christ! Crucify Him! And if you've ever thought about how we at times swing from one way to the other, that at times our emotions will get caught up into a group of people that we love, a group of people that are around us, and we're so afraid at times to, to go against the grain of what the group is, we get caught up in it. And we may have been one of the ones that even said, man, crucify the Christ, and deep down we went, I don't believe that. I don't want Him crucified. And so I'm just wondering, and I love to do this in those scenes. Gang, there were throngs of people there. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And so I don't think it's a far stretch to think about some of the people that Jesus healed before he placed himself on the donkey and went in in the city before he placed himself on the cross, before he was placed in the tomb, before he comes blasting out of the tomb, and now he's blasting out of the tomb. You ever wonder, like the, the woman that he had the conversation with at the well? She was a Samaritan. So you got to remember that the crowds that were in the city, in J-Town, in Jerusalem, would have been a mixed bag. Yes, predominantly the people that were celebrating Passover were there. But you got to remember that the court was made up of, of areas where other people could participate. What if she was there? What about the lepers that he healed? What if they were standing right by you during the week or you passed them? You overheard some of the conversation. What about all the blind people that he touched and he healed? What, don't you think that they would have heard that Jesus is coming and they would have been there? We know that the people close to him were Lazarus, who he healed, who he called out of the grave. But the throngs of people, I think we have a tendency to forget the throngs of people that Jesus touched and healed. I believe we're there too. I don't have anything to back it up. But wouldn't you? Wouldn't you, if you had encountered him and you were one of the lepers that he had healed, and you hear that Jesus, the one that healed you, is coming into town, I think I'd want to see him. And so at that significant moment, gang, I'm going to take us back to the time when Jesus is on the cross and he releases his spirit to the Father to tell us, Father, I release my spirit to you. 
And he's saying everything is finished. And in that moment, the Gospels record that the temple curtain comes crashing in two. At that moment. Now, gang, what is happening in that moment is that as the Passover is going on, the priest and everyone that are doing their duty with Passover signifies what Christ is doing for us once for all time. The Lamb of God is taking place of the earthly lambs, the ones that we bring to Him. And the curtain comes ripping down. Now here's the thing I want us to think about. You're the priest on the scene. All of them would have been there. All of them would have been there. And depending on where your turn is, it depends on which tribe was actually serving and what piece of it. But you're on the scene. And so that's the holy of holies. The curtain separated. Gang, this ain't like a curtain that I pull to when I go to the Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> I love those curtains. <laughs> They're quite good. They got that little plastic rod on them. And I'm going, I'm turning day into night. Whoosh! It ain't that kind of curtain. This baby's 60 feet long. I don't know how big this room is, but maybe from this to there's maybe 60 feet. Just look. 60 feet. Some people say it was up to four inches thick. That would make a significant noise. <laughs> the, the ground shaking. The curtain comes in two. Now, if you're one of the priests, gang, you're flipping out. You are absolutely flipping out. Your insides are going, what in the world is going on? You may have been one of the ones that deep, deep down, you believe Jesus is who he said he is. But you were just still afraid. Remember, we're in the crowd. Do we ever get afraid? I'm just a little afraid that my buddies aren't going to accept me anymore. But the curtain is down and there's no hiding that. And so this is how significant it is. They only went into the Holy of Holies one time a year. The Day of Atonement. And when they did that, they wrapped a rope around them. And the curtain's down and everything behind the curtain is revealed and exposed. They're freaking out. And so maybe they, like us, it starts to leak out. I mean, if it was on the scrollers at CNN, it's breaking news. And maybe they would later, they would interview one of the guys. You ever see those interviews where they kind of fuzzy up the face? You know? And they distort their voice because they're still not real comfortable in coming completely out. And their voice sounds like fish. Well, I was on the scene in there, and it was really crazy. All of a sudden, I hear this violent noise, and I look around, and the curtain's torn in two. You know what I mean? It's, the voice is all distorted, and they're wanting the facts. They're wanting to know. So what is the significance of the curtain coming down? There is no more separation. There is no more separation. You see, the Holy of Holies was the dwelling place of God. God said, I want and desire multiple addresses. I'm getting rid of the 
veil. I'm getting rid of the curtain. I just satisfied it through Jesus, my son on the cross. I'm ripping this curtain down forever and I don't want you sewing it back up or zipping it back up with your law. I'm in you, will be in you, will never leave you, will never forsake you, and you have to either believe or not believe that. There's only one or two choices in that. And so the thing is, is that as the whole thing is just going bonkers, it's going bedlam, it represents what Moses did way back when. You see, it all started with the crunch of the fruit, right? There was a separation. We had the separation of God when Adam and Eve decided to eat the fruit. They felt like God was holding out on them. Let's eat the fruit and let's get all the knowledge. And God in his infinite love continues to chase us. And he chased us through Jesus. And so he would meet with Moses. And when he met with Moses, when he went up on the mountain, Moses even said, Father, let me see your glory. Let me see you. And God said, Moses, you can't handle it, man. There's no way you can handle this. He said, but what I will let you do, I'm going to pass by. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to hide you here for a second. And as I pass by, you take a look at me. You take a look at my back. And gang, when he came down, the glory of God was so illuminating from his face that people were scared. Where Moses had to put a veil over his face. Had to cover it because it was too much. And, and if you'll remember, it wasn't, you know, when Moses, when he's coming down and, and, and people being like we are, we were coming down and people, by the time Moses comes back down the mountain, they had already made another... God. <laughs> they took everyone's earrings, you know, and they said, man, we got to worship something. So they said, well, give me all your earrings. And Aaron, Moses' brother, got all the earrings, and they make this golden calf, and he comes down, and he's going like, what in the world is all that noise? And they're down there worshiping, and Aaron is kind of throwing them under the bus. <laughs> he says, I know, Moses, they're this rebellious, crazy people. Can't, there's no control in them. And Moses slams down the, the tablets, the law. And so a lot of folks in that would say, well, man, wouldn't that warrant God just whacking you? God says, Moses, go get two more tablets. Come back up here. Let's have a conversation. And when you go back and read that in Exodus, when Moses sits down with him this time, he takes the veil off. You see, there's no separation with Moses and God in that moment. And so we think that these were the first ones that you could write, you put your finger on and it was a tablet and you could write on it. God got you beat. He did it first. <laughs> get that? Y'all get it? It's okay to laugh at that. That's really good. It's, it, it's better than what that laugh is giving me. I want this belly laugh in. <laughs> Thanks, Tindy. He writes them again. And he comes down. And so here's the beauty of it. 
Paul reminds us of this conversation with Moses and God. And he's writing it to the Corinthians in his second letter. But here's the guy that is writing the letter. His name is Paul. Now, I'm not a gambling guy. But I think this is a pretty sure bet. That Paul was on the scene when he was Saul. You see, because Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. And when he described himself, he said, I was a Jew of Jews. I kept all of the laws and the regulations to a T. You see, he would have been on the scene. He would have been on the scene to see Jesus come into the city. He would have been on the scene to see those that were healed by Jesus maybe talking. He would have been on the scene to see Jesus placed in the tomb. He would have been on the scene to see Jesus come blasting out of the tomb. And he was on the scene when he had his Damascus Road experience. But there was no covering anymore. There was no separation anymore. Jesus and God are pursuers of people. And he chased him down. And so here's a guy that knew what separation looked like to a T. And he's starting to describe to the people in Corinth what it looks like to never be separated from God ever again. So I want to go there. It's 2 Corinthians 3. And what he's telling the people in the letter before he gets to this moment is that there's this new way. The old way is gone. The old way, and there's a lot of the people in Corinth that didn't even know what the old way was. And so they're trying to figure out what is the way? What's this, this new way that Paul's talking about? And so Paul is reminding them that our acceptance to God is through Jesus Christ. And so that when we read the old game, when you read the old, you've got to hear me here. Reading the Old Testament is beautiful because it points every bit of us to what Jesus is doing, going to do, and did. But you have to read it with the Jesus heart. You have to read the Old Testament with the New Covenant Jesus heart. That when you read that, that all of that is fulfilled in Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, I have come to fulfill all the writings. I'm fulfilling all the writings of Moses and the prophets. And so we have to read it with that mindset, with that heart set. And so he says here in 3.16, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16, he says, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The curtain, the separation. For the Lord is spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. For wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Gang, there's freedom in this room. I think so. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the thing is, is are you experiencing that freedom? And you guys, I'm looking at y'all. Y'all are marketplace pastors. Yes, you are, but you're living a lot of life with folks that aren't experiencing freedom because they're dragging their own law with them. Help them take that away. Help them take that away. Verse 18. 
It says, so all of us who've had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him. Look at this, gang. As we are changed into His glorious image. As we are changed into His glorious image. Do you, do you see what Paul's saying? And this is a guy that was murdering people because they would follow Christ. But here's the beauty of this. By now you know we have this incredible grandbaby. Her name's Everly. Little Everly. Oh my gosh. And we do it with all babies. I even did it when Caroline walked in the room tonight. Is that when I'm looking into Everly, and all of us were looking in, and the family's looking at little Everly's little face. They're going, oh, boy, look at that. That looks just like Kenzie. That looks just like Kenzie when she was born. And then they go, oh, wait a minute. When she does her little mouth like that, that looks like Brian, doesn't it? That looks just like Brian. And they go, looks like you a little bit, Bilbo. It's just she's got more hair. And, and what we're doing is we're looking in the image of the child. That we're, there's something about that child that we're wanting it to be in the image of me. But I read this week, God has no grandchildren. I've never had that thought before. God has no grandchildren. All he has are children. And so when God has got me in his hand like this, he's going, dang, look at little Bibbo. He looks like me. Look at, look at Carol. Look at Nanny. Look at Blink. She looks like me. Imago Dei. In the image of God, your face reflects the image of of God wherever you are. Your face, your heart reflects the image of God wherever you are. And that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. I want to close with this. There's at times we don't believe that. I get that. I can raise both hands in that. And typically when I get off of that belief, it has everything to do with me. And I've lost focus of the one that said, it is finished. And so when we stay focused on him, then I'm able to see that, yes, I am reflecting the image of God. He continues to change me into his image, not my image. Not the one I think I ought to be. Not the one I think you ought to be. He's changing you into the image of him and Him alone. So in closing, the ones that we were kind of wondering about, wondering if they were on the scene or not, I believe they were. And there would have been no doubt who they were because they would have been reflecting the image of God. They would have been standing around going, I told you, I told you, I told you he was coming out. <laughs> he is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is reflecting everything that I am. It's him. It's not me. It's him. 
We are mirrors of our Father, the one that looks at and goes, man, he looks like me. Go live him out today. Go live him out tonight. Starting when we say amen here, go and go and go. And, and, and support those that are learning. Gang, we're around people that are learning. Support them in that. They too are the reflection of God. They've just forgotten. Help remind them. Father, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. Thank you that there is no more veil. Thank you there is no more curtain. Father, we thank you for everything that is new, which comes through you. Father, I am thankful that there's not ever a time, even when I'm sleeping, that you are not in us. Father, we now are your Holy of Holies. You had a dwelling place called the Holy of Holies. You ripped the curtain down, Father, so that you would live with us, in us. So, Father, as we sing these last songs, I pray that all of us are cut loose and we sing them in a way that we've not ever sang them before. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.